We appreciate those of you who during this time have been, uh, you've been pillars, you've been, you know, with your ministry of presence, you chose to come back, and then you, many of you who have, there are people listening right now who haven't been able to come back, but they're still being financially generous to their church, and this is huge. You know, it's estimated that 35% of churches won't make it through the pandemic. They're going to close their doors. Now, this was already a problem in America of churches closing their doors, but it's, uh, it's very serious. So you've been a part of a church where the prevailing aspects of this church uh, have come in because of you. I was just talking with a, a family in our church between services, and they, give, they tithe out of their stock which is, is, he says, my financial planner says, I just, you just put it in the garden, I just do my best to make it grow, and then he tithes off that. You may not be in that position, but be very creative. Use PayPal, or push pay, excuse me. Use push pay. If you came today, but you say, I don't have push pay, I, I don't have an app yet, but I want to be generous to the work of God here, then um, we, there's a, actually a box out there at the welcome counter. It's surrounded by security, et cetera, so it's, it's secure, but uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that because this is a... This is an amazing deal. We had a family this week who gave a $67,000 stock to this church. And they, I said, why? did why?" And they said, we just believe in a church that's doing the very best it can to love people outside the church. And um, please know that that family, for example, and you, if, if, if all you can do is $67, you have no idea the kingdom dominoes that fall because of both $67 and $67,000. Everybody understand this? The help that we're able to do. Our City Lights team, a week and a half ago in our City Lights staff meeting, went by region by region and just reported on prayer walks and Xenia and donuts to school teachers and you know stuff to nurses. And, the, and I sat there going, I didn't know a tenth of this stuff that's going on. And just we're, we were just sitting back going, oh my gosh, look what God's doing. And City Lights is one-tenth of what it will be when we can actually meet, <laughs> when we can actually do some stuff. And I just, I want to tell you this. I've had a front row seat for uh, almost three decades now on seeing God's pastoring of this church and bringing the right people at the right time and in giving us leadings that we followed up on and God knew two years ago when we started thinking this city lights idea of let's go regional let's go decentralized off campus to create communities of connection care and community and God knew there'd be a pandemic and I it's amazing our church is set up for for the future not because of what happens here alone what happens here is critical but what happens off campus and that and player's box are going to be two huge ways. We hit physical needs, and then through player's box, we are going to attack the mental health issue of students. We're going to get to where we can attack that when they're in first grade, not when they're in 11th grade, but in first grade. And it's because of your generosity that we can dream about that. Amen? We can dream about that, and we thank you, thank you, thank you. Plus, I get a paycheck from this place, so I got a vested interest in uh, making sure that you dig in those jeans and turn over those greens, you know what I'm saying? Um, 
But with that said, as you know, many of us uh, are aware of the fact that every weekend we're highlighting a region, and today the North region is someone many of you know, but is a very special person. She's one of my favorite people. She and her husband, Mark, have been a part of Southwark for a long time, and would you guys welcome Tina Rogel to the platform right now. Tina, come on up. Give a welcome to Tina Rogel. There's a couple of areas where Tina's involved in the, the North region, and one is as a representative of the work that the organization called 115 is doing. 115 is named after the reality that daily 115 people die of drug overdose. And so we've been for, we have, as you would imagine, a church that's rooted in recovery ministry. That's our, that's the middle of our onion is recovery that you can imagine um, our recovery people are telling us that we have relapsed regionally into 2015, 2016 overdose numbers, that the pandemics, one of the unintended consequences of the isolation has been, it's, it, we're back. We have gone backwards. The progress that was made has been reversed now. And so 115 is of which uh, Tina is representing and bringing that organization, that's what we do in City Lights, we join with other organizations. We don't create stuff on our own and say, here how we can, we can fuel your organization through our people and our prayer. But then also Tina is the prayer leader of the North region because if nothing happens through our app but the network of connection, care, and community through the, the community of prayerful love, then we will have achieved something significant. That's why we want you to get on the app. Even if you can't go to events right now, even if you don't have a story to read or tell, we want you to be a part of that prayer movement that is just like a tree that's underground right now and it's growing. And so Tina is leading that effort in the north. North being from this point right here, uh, Oakwood, Kettering, right, kind of up a 75 corridor, Dayton, Tip City, Vandalia, Clayton, uh, Huber Heights, kind of up that corridor. So would you bow with me right now, Southbrook? We have the privilege of praying over Tina and Mark and, the, and Cammie and the North team. Let's do that together right now, okay? Father, the, as you know, the North region is our lowest population of Southbrook, but it's the highest area of felt human needs where we need the kingdom to come, the kingdom of restoration, the kingdom where when it is present, there's food. There is a place for someone who's addicted to find healing. And that's why we pray over Tina and Mark and Cammie and Drew and the whole team of the North. We set them apart today to pray. You put a hedge of protection around them, that you prosper them within the umbrella of your kingdom of peace your kingdom of reconciliation, your kingdom of resources, and we pray now that you just use them, and someday we'll look back, and this prayer sent echoes into eternity that were felt immediately in the north region. So we thank you for she is one of many who, like what Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. That's all it takes. It takes a yes to say, yep, send me. I'll do my part. And we pray that today you anoint the conversations she'll have with some folks right after this, because there's some folks right now who are going, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed to hear. I want to get involved, or I want to get involved in addiction recovery. I want to get involved, and I want to get involved in prayer. I want to be one of those unseen warriors and uh, just use Tina, right? Use Tina in Christ's character. And because he said we will do greater things than he would do together, 
we had asked this prayer, expecting to see its answer. And everyone said, amen. Let's thank Tina for, and the North team. Thank you, sister. Thank you. God bless you. And uh, make sure Tina's going to be out with uh, some of the other team from the North region uh, out there. Uh, on the southwest side of the atrium, and you can just go out there and talk to her. If you feel like, hey, that may be my area, I want to be involved in helping with, with people who are struggling in addiction. Uh, I also want to remind you, Alexis Gomez has a new song she's written, and it's, it came out as of Friday, and Alexis is going to be out there, her song, What is Love? And you can talk to her about that new song. It's beautiful. I've seen the, the music video that goes with it, and it's, it's, a, it's just a pretty neat thing that uh, somebody who's uh, such an influential person as she uh, helps uh, lead worship here. Well, happy Valentine's Day, and of course on Valentine's Day, I want to speak about God's judgment of the wicked. How's them apples, huh? Yeah, we're in Revelation, and so Valentine's Day is not going to stop us from Revelation. And we just happen to be at chapter 19, and uh, hold on, because if today is like, oh my gosh, that was depressing, next week we're going to talk about heaven. Anybody interested in what heaven's going to be like as described in Revelation? Oh, you do not want to miss it, because if you think it's just harps on pillows, you have got a thing coming next week as we get excited about talking about uh, heaven. Today, we got to talk about hell, okay? <laughs> Today, we got to talk about it. The more you can get to heaven, you got to go through hell, as the song says. And, and it really, Revelation has about three or four messages that are just real simple. And one of the simple messages of Revelation is echoed in Philippians 1. Remember I told you that you see the book of Revelation all throughout the New Testament in little, little pockets of statements, three-verse pockets. You see the whole message. One of the messages here is in Philippians 1, 2, 1 to 11. And when he says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that there's going to come a day when every power on earth will be accountable to Christ, including you and me. Life does not have meaning because it ends. Life has meaning because in the end, there is an accountability. I remember 35, 40 years ago, being in college, sitting in my Old Testament survey class and Dr. Stephen Hooks, I still remember him saying, friends, this will never change as long as you're a part of this country. Its problem is it no longer believes it is accountable to God. And that was 35 some odd years ago. And we do, we've lost that sense of accountability. And this is the backdrop behind this. Revelation 19, 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun. So the backdrop of all this is the glory of God. Remember, this is the same sun that is not needed in heaven because God's glory lights the place. He cried in a loud voice, urgency, to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Aren't you glad you came to church today to see this R-rated message? Uh, now, right here, do you really think that Revelation is literal? Do you really think that we're all going to turn into cannibals? <laughs> no. This is symbolism, and it's contrasted to the message of the wedding feast of the Lamb earlier in chapter 19. Come to the wedding feast of the Lamb where we will serve one another, and there will be joy and community connection and care. City Lights is just practice for heaven, really, is all it is. And there will be that. Oh, not this feast. Not this feast. Ooh, this feast. The, the 
the representation of those that oppose the authority of God, the kings, the generals, and the mighty, they're going to get theirs. They're going to get theirs. This is really gruesome. Then I saw a bee, the beast. Remember, the beast represents the force, the personality of evil. We'll see. This is Satan. And as represented in the Roman Empire, the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against the rider on the horse. Who's that? Jesus. We've seen him in chapter 19 already. When a king came in to a city in peace, he came in on a donkey, Jesus, on the Thursday before his Passover sacrifice, but he says he's coming on a horse next time, a white horse. That's when a, a, a general came in to conquer and his army. So this is, life is not a playground, it's a battleground, and there is a beast that's out to take life from you. But the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. Now, a lot of scholars even though I'm not a scholar, including myself, uh, this, is, this right here is another address to the cult of the emperors. You see, in Rome, the problem that wasn't that Christianity believed that Jesus was worthy of worship. The problem with Christ was that his army, his followers believed he is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is Lord. That was the problem. Why did people get martyred at their baptism? Anybody who's been around Southbrook five minutes knows the answer to this. Why were people martyred at their baptism? What is it they did at their baptism that would cause some of them to be martyred? What was it? Three, the, the three-word phrase? Jesus is Lord. The cult of the Caesars said, no, he's not. And the, the, the followers of Christ said, yes, he is. And and the beast was captured, and this false prophet, with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast. All those, the mark of the beast is the symbolism for they think with the beast. They have the mind, not of Christ, but of the evil one, and worshiped his image. So much revelation is about the idolatry of the, of the emperor cult. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, the authority of Christ. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. Now this is authority. That is the picture of Death doesn't have the authority. He sees the dragon. And this is so cool because this is the dragon of chapter 12 that was after Mary and Jesus, after he was born, fleeing into the desert. That ancient serpent, who was the devil or Satan, bound him for a thousand years. How many of you ever heard about the millennium? The millennial age. Well, I'm going to talk about that in a little pause button moment here in a minute. So don't get stuck on that. He threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now, just to cut to the quick here, this is Rome. He is telling them, we, we, we think this is yet to happen. No, this, is al this has already happened. He has already overthrown Rome. He has already taken down the cult of the emperors. Okay, he is, he is in the process of doing that right now as John writes this. And we know that about 300 years later, the cult of the emperors would end and Rome would become a nation based in whom? Christ. 
Now, the institutionalizing of the church caused other problems, but now Rome became a Christian nation. You ever, anybody ever heard of the Roman Catholic Church? It goes all the way back to Constantine when this reality, the cult of the Caesars, was no more. My kingdom, he said, will last forever and ever. And he locked, keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. So look at this. Satan is going to fall, and the Roman Empire is going to fall. But then look, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus because of the word of God. Back then, it was serious, serious business. They had not worshipped the beast or his image. They, they were beheaded because they didn't fall for the cult of the emperors. They had not received his mark on their foreheads. No, they had taken captive every thought and made it obedient to Christ or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The idea here is there's going to come a time when the church conquers Rome. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Now, I don't think this is necessarily literal. It is church, you're going to win in this life. Then the second resurrection is going to come where it's final. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. This, this is, the, there are seven beatitudes in Revelation. Blessed are those who lost their lives for the testimony of the Lamb, and they wouldn't recant. The second death has no power over them. So the first death is physical. The second death is, is eternal. And it has no power over them. Somebody once said, if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll die once. Only die once. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Do you know what the New Testament teaches? The New Testament doesn't teach that you need a priest to pray through. The New Testament teaches there's one high priest. His name is Jesus. He is our mediator, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we in Christ, we are all mediators of heaven and earth. I mean, for those of you who grew up in traditions where, what a minute, that's that's, that's the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.9, we are all royal priests. You can intercede between heaven and earth. You can bring heaven to earth. You don't just need to be in a church building with a clergy person. And they'll reign with him for a thousand years and will go out to do a reverse deception, to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Who the heck is Gog and Magog? Sounds like some some Marvel Universe bad guy, doesn't it? Well, Gog and Magog, was, he was the ruler. Gog was the ruler of Magog who took the Israelites captive. Ezekiel chapter 38. And representation of the powers of this earth. They are going to surrender. They're going to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. Now, I want you to see this beautiful picture. This is just such a neat picture. Okay, so... The, the, the enemies of God are like this vast army. This vast army. And this, this echoes back to when Elisha and Elijah, Elisha said that, that when the enemies of God were surrounding them on the mountains and God gave Elijah the vision of the angels that were surrounding them, and Elisha says, oh no, Lord, they, they will overtake us. And Elijah goes, no, 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 no. God has given me vision to see those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Trust me on this. And this is a picture of that. They have this vast army of the beast. 
and watch what's going to happen. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. He's going to come back. Rome may fall, but he's going to come back. And they marched against the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. This is the church. This is the church. This week, we prayed for a pastor in Malaysia who was kidnapped, and he's still missing. Why? Because this has happened. It is happening now, and it will happen. That's Revelation. It's not just it did happen or it's going to happen. It has happened. It is happening. It will happen. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Boom! Gone. Battle over. Isn't that cool? So you have this, you have this picture of these army, you know, this army. Oh my gosh, this army is standing on the seashore. We're going to win. Boom! Game over. It's the coolest picture. This is the coolest picture. Look, this, this is what this picture says. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night for a thousand years. Is that what it says? What does it say? And there's going to come a day when it's over. It's, it's the last time this has happened. This is the last time it did happen. It is happening. It will happen. There's going to come a time when, no, it just, it just did happen. That's it. No more thousand-year quality reigning going on. See, every time, l- l- listen, when Revelation uses numbers, we in the West think of numbers in terms of quantity. In ancient Oriental symbolic literature, a number was used to denote the quality of something. So when it says that Satan is going to have a thousand-year reign, it's, it, it's going to feel like he's winning. And it's going to feel like God's people are winning with a thousand-year reign. And there's going to come a forever reign, which it's over. Turn out the lights, the party's over. Let the fat lady sing. Whatever you want to use, it's over, done, Psh, battle over. Just in the picture here is just, whoosh, battle's over. This is just such a cool picture. The judgment of God upon his enemies prevails without God having to struggle at all. God doesn't break a sweat. He reigns above it all. He reigns above it all. Even though to the people to whom John was writing, it felt like they were losing. He reigns above it all. And one day it's going to be over, not after a a thousand year quality reign. It's going to be over forever and ever. Yeah, you know, you read this, you go, why did he have to be so gruesome? Why did he have to be so graphic in his descriptions of this battle? Well, as I said, it's a a contrast to the beauty of the wedding supper of the Lamb. But there's a reason why John uses such extreme imagery here. And I'll explain it by asking you this question. Have any of you ever gotten tired of evil that seems to win and, and nobody's holding it accountable. Anybody ever gotten tired? Anybody ever gotten tired? I'm looking at some of my law enforcement friends here. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like evil. And we just are like, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're wearing ourselves out fighting evil and it just seems like it's winning. And, and on, on top of that, sometimes it just seems like it, it's not being held accountable. Do you ever get overwhelmed watching the news or, or reading the news or going on Twitter for five seconds at how low the human race can sink? 
Anybody ever get tired of that? It's one of the things that's underestimated about sin and wickedness. It wears you out. Sin binds and sin grinds and sin blinds. Drug dealers who not only flourish, but they convince innocent children who are growing up in poverty that they are the only way that they can get out of poverty. And their lives get twisted and misshapen by these deceptively wicked intended people and they seem to get away with it. Or what about political tyrants who target a whole ethnic group just because they have a different skin color, just because they have a different religion, different ethnicity, targeted for genocide, wipe, wipe, wipe it out, almost utterly sometimes. Just wipe it out. Or closer to home, somebody that you know in your work who practices deliberate deceit and manipulation, even abusive people, and they not only go unpunished, they get promoted. Has anybody ever had that happen? What is going on here? Who's in charge? Or what about adults who secretly peddle traffic and brutalize children and women day after day, month after month, year after year? Sherry and I really have gotten into this show. I can't remember what network it's on, but called Shetland. Anybody ever watch Shetland? It's about this, this, inspe- this investigator, this detective, this officer in Shetland, the North Atlantic, Scotland. And the, the most recent season was about this human trafficking network set against the bucolic, beautiful backdrop of the rolling hills of Shetland. This evil is taking place. Well, you know what? It's taking place in Dayton, Ohio. And how many of us go, this, this, this cannot be. What, how, how is it that evil is getting away with this? And John is saying, listen, friends, evil is very real to me too. And there's coming a day when evil will be judged. And God will go, and it's destroyed. And it's destroyed. This echoes actually Genesis chapter 1. This is a reverse echo of Genesis 1. And God said, let there be, what did he say? Light, and then what happened? Was there a dimmer on, or just kind of, no. It said, and there was light. Jesus is the word of God. All he had to do was say, be healed, and the hand was healed. The ears could hear again, the eyes could see. And this is an echo of that, that God just says, yep, line up, line up, go ahead, line up. You're done, evil. Any of you guys remember the gospel movie, Braveheart? Anybody remember that gospel movie, Braveheart? I mean, it was just, oh my gosh, what a great movie. And, and there's the scene in Braveheart where this ragtag Scottish army led by William Wallace is ready to do battle against the vast army of the English against the, against the countryside. And you see this, whoa, this is not a fair fight. This is not a fair fight, right? And because what's supposed to happen is the Scottish tribes come out, the, the, the English come out, they do their pomp and circumstance, they send representatives, the Scottish people capitulate and say, we give in, you keep ruling us. And the English say, okay, we will. We were going to anyway, but we will. And they go their ways and, they, and they're done. Well, what's the change in plot in Braveheart? There's no backing down on William Wallace. <laughs> I love this scene where they come out and they're not capitulating. The English are taken aback by this. Wait, wait, wait a minute, they're not playing by the rules. 
But my favorite line in the whole movie is when William Wallace's big lug redheaded friend Hamish looks at him and goes, well, we didn't get dressed up for nothing. And then they go to war. I mean, they just go to battle and, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, good mid-90s R-rated violence, you know, of a revelation quality. And this is the picture that John is painting in an illusionist artistic way when it comes to evil. That he's on the side that looks like it's losing and he's going to go, evil's done. War over. Turn out the lights, the party's over. This is the picture. Now, this may not be true. This may not be true. I believe it is. I believe this is painting a picture, not literally we will turn into cannibals, but literally we will, in Christ, be more than conquerors through him who loved us. That if Jesus Christ is the leader of your life, you are not going to lose. The victory has already been secured, is being lived, and will be made forever one day. This is the coolest thing because this is World War II. The Allies land on the beaches of Normandy, and right there, now that we look back, right there, the war was over. It was over. Germany cannot withstand the onslaught of the Allied forces that landed in Normandy. And then they fought the war, but it was over. And then it was well, one day, it was, it was over for good. And John says, at the cross, he took his enemies captive. He is winning right now, even though it looks like you're losing. And one day it's going to be over forever. Evil. Now hit the pause button here for a minute before I close this out. I know, I know, I know, I know that many, many people get get messed up with the whole thousand year thing. Please remember, we do this actually in our language at all. When we say, didn't the pandemic feel like it lasted two years, not one year? When we actually use that number to say, we're talking about the quality of the struggle, not, not the actual link. That, like, would, you, would you all agree? I think I'm going to have a panic attack on March 11th. I had no idea what I was getting into March 11th. Did you? I had no idea what I was getting into. I'm not signing up for that again. But I may have a panic attack on March 11th this year. Like, I'm not, I know, don't ever play that again. In the words of Dark Helmet in the classic work, Spaceballs, don't ever play that again, right? I don't want to go through that again because the, 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 the COVID pandemic on so many of those, I mean, I just, one of, my, one of my good friends, I just did his funeral Thursday. I mean, it's just, it is just ravaging in so many ways. It has been a 10-year pandemic. I don't mean that literally. What do I mean that by? The quality of the struggle for everyone has been great. And so when we, we look at the thousand years, there are three ways to look at it. One is called the premillennial view. And what, you know, people of biblical scholarship all over the world disagree on this whole thing. Well-intended people on, on all parts of the theological plane. And some take the premillennial view, which taking the thousand years literally, Jesus will come back and establish a thousand year reign on earth before he takes the church to be with him forever in heaven. That's the premillennial view. The other one is called the postmillennial view. And they, this, this view interprets revelation that Jesus is going to come back, guess when? After the thousand year reign. And then he's going to take the church to be with him forever. But there's going to be this period of tribulation. And 
The third view is what's called the amillennial view, uh, the prefix am meaning none, and that is it takes the thousand years as a symbolic reference to the quality of the struggle, the quality of what seems like Satan's reign is a thousand year reign. It's not a 500 year reign. It's not a 250 level. It's not a 100 level. It's a thousand level. Can you guess which view I take? <laughs> I'm not a scholar, you know, you know, seldom wrong, but never in doubt, okay? I mean, I, I, uh, you know, sometimes you're seldom in doubt. The, the, the amillennial view is the one we take, and that is that it is a symbolic representation of the quality of the struggle. Now, my mentor in ministry, the person who is the reason why I'm in ministry, is an ardent premillennialist. Ardent premillennialist. I mean, he, he, he buys into the left behind books and, you know, the, the, the rapture and in the, in the, in the, in how it fits in with the premillennial return of Christ, etc. And fine. Uh, here's what I want to say about this. This is an example of, you know, the fourth view on this is actually one I'm not listening, called the panmillennial view. Jesus has this figured out. I don't. It's going to pan out in the end, according to his plan. Okay. Anybody on the pan millennial? I like, you know, he's in charge. He actually told me, don't worry about the day nor the hour. Only the Father knows. That ought to have been a clue. We shouldn't spend a lot of time worrying about the day nor the hour. But there are Christian colleges that will not let you in unless you pledge to a premillennial view. Now, wait a minute. Are we just taking things beyond what they're supposed to be taking when people are dying and getting trafficked and we're arguing over whether Jesus is going to come back 4,000 years or after 1,000 years or no 1,000? I mean, Really? I remember in 1917, I wasn't alive then, even though some of you think I was. I, in 1917, the Russian Revolution was taking place on the streets of Petrograd, and fighting was breaking out. You know what the priests of the Orthodox Church were doing while literally the fighting was taking place on the streets of Petrograd? They were, they were inside fighting over what color vestments the priests should wear during communion. Do you want to know why the church looks stupid sometimes? to put it biblically, is, is, is because sometimes we fight over this stuff and the rest of the world's going, who gives a rip? People are dying of hunger and thirst and abuse and drug addiction and lostness. Don't, let him deal with that. Let him deal with who the wicked are. We don't, I'm, we're not on the judgment committee. Last time I checked, we're on the love committee, aren't we? He said himself, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's your job. Don't get caught up in all these views and how many angels can sit on the head of a pen and ooh, ah, we sound so smart. And nobody gives a crap. <laughs> okay, who's really dying. Okay, that's enough on that. Here's, here's the last thing I want to tell you. Is, is, is Christ comes into Jerusalem very symbolically on a donkey. And that was, everybody would have known, that's a king coming in peace. I'm not a military leader, he was saying by doing that. I am a spiritual leader of peace and grace and love. I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the world by dying. That's why he's a stumbling block to people. Like, what? No, this is the world you power up, man. No, we change the world by dying. 
But it says that the second time he comes, and I think we'll probably misread how that's going to happen, if I may say so. They did the first time, we probably will the second time. But symbolically speaking, it's going to be on a white horse coming to wage war on his enemies. Now, what you want to be is on the infallibly safe side. Do you know what the infallibly safe side is? There's no doubt whose side I'm on. If you were alive on April 3rd, 1974 in Xenia, what did you experience? What did you experience? A tornado. You're old enough to remember that? Oh my, what was it like an F6, F7? Holy cow. Now, if you live in Xenia, Ohio, and you're old enough to be alive and remember April 3rd, 1974, and the, the, the local meteorologist comes on and says, there is a, there's an F7 heading toward right over Xenia again. You need to go, if you have a basement, go to the basement, go to the northwest corner of the house, get under a heavy object. What are you going to do? Are you going to go, well, I don't know. There have been other tornadoes that have come through here since 1974, and they really, really didn't. I mean, my house is still here. What, what are you going to do? If you live through that, you're going to go to the northwest corner of the house. I'm going to go to the northwest corner of the house. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cover my head with my knee. I'm going to get under a heavy object. If, if, if I have time, I'm going to bring my wife and kids along. I mean, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be on the infallibly safe side. Are you? Are you? And John's just saying, you may want to be on the infallibly safe side on this one, folks. Because today he comes to you on a donkey. He doesn't come to you today on a white horse. He comes to you on a donkey. The way Jesus put it, he says, now when you pray, you don't pray to the Roman God, the impersonal deity, Nero God, Domitian. No, you pray. And when you pray, he said, you say, our Father. What? Our Father. Not only that, not austere Father, it's our Abba in Aramaic, our Daddy. That's the relationship that you'll have. Not only is he not your judge, he's your father. You're an orphan living on the streets and you're living on a 120-acre mansion plot now. Whoa. And that's how he comes to you today. Richard Foster, in uh, his book on prayer, wrote about a dad who was in a store one time with his young son, about two years old. And he said the boy was having a very bad two-year-old day. The terrible twos, full incarnation, in bloom, really cranky and fussy and whining and crying. No matter what his dad did, he couldn't get the kid to stop. Terrible position to be in. Have you ever had a child... You, you've been in a similar position. So in desperation, he said, the father finally starts to sing a, a, a kind of strange song. He said it was off key and none of the words rhyme, but he begins to sing, I love you, son. You make me smile. I like to hear you laugh. I'm glad you're my boy. I'm glad to be your dad. And all of you are thinking about Buddy the Elf right now, aren't you? That's all you're thinking about, Buddy the Elf. And he said as he did this, he got, his son got real quiet. And his eyes got real big around, and he just relaxed in his father's arms. And when they were done shopping, his dad, he said, took him out to the car and put him in his little car seat. And that little boy lifted up his head, and he raised his hand and said, Sing it to me again, Daddy. Sing it to me again. Now, this is why Jesus said, to, to come into my kingdom, you have to become like a child. You, you have to accept that he's not just 
your judge. He, he, he wants to be your, your Abba. And a, and a two-year-old doesn't overanalyze that. A two-year-old, when he hears his dad singing a song he likes, he says, sing it again, dad, sing it again. And this is what it means to come to Christ today. He said, you're my Abba. You're not my rider on a white horse even. It's, it's just, I hope you can understand against the Roman context how revolutionary it was for Jesus to say, you come to him as Abba. So I did this. I got a lot of things wrong as a parent, but like, you know, you know if, if you bat 200 as a parent, they put you in the Hall of Fame of Parenting, right, parents? Uh, so in 1995, a movie came out called Mr. Holland's Opus. Anybody remember that movie? Richard Dreyfuss played the teacher, Mr. Holland, and it was, a, it, was, it was Forrest Gump meets It's a Wonderful Life. Like, if you put those two movies together and they crashed into each other, that's what you got. And in the, in the movie, he had a deaf son, and he would sing this song to his son. And I saw that movie, and I thought, I'm gonna do that. Our kids were five and six. So I started doing this with Austin, and I figured out I could do this with Jordan. I, I, I probably did it once or twice a week. I don't wanna make it sound like eight days a week I sang my kids to sleep. Super dad, that's me. No, no. Um, but the words of that song, and I want you to picture you and your heavenly father as I, I say this. Some of you know this song. Close your eyes, have no fear. The monster's gone. He's on the run and your daddy's here. Beautiful, 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 beautiful boy. Beautiful, 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 beautiful boy. Before you go to sleep, say a little prayer. Every day and every way, it's getting better and better. Out on the ocean, Sailing away, I can hardly wait to see you come of age. But I guess we'll both have to just be patient because it's a long way to go and it's a long road to hoe. But in the meantime, before you cross the street, take my hand. Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Beautiful, beautiful Beautiful, beautiful boy. And that's God in you. I know you, I know you think your, your mess-ups matter more. No, they don't. That's how your father looks at you. Take my hand. Life's going to happen to you along the way. But let there be no doubt who your father was. And that's where John's pointing all of us. Today, he comes to you as a Ba and says, take my hand. Let's pray. And now, Father, we pray. And those who are in doubt, may they join me in this prayer. Our Abba, who fills the space around us, who is nearby, we set your name apart. Your kingdom, your rule come into my life. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Give me today what I need and I'll be thankful for even bread. And forgive me when I fail and fall and make me gracious to those who are imperfect too. 
Father, lead me away from my weaknesses. Lead me not into temptation. I can find it myself. Deliver me from the power of the beast. Help me know that no matter what I'm going through, in you I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I've read the last chapter in the book. I've seen the end of the movie. I know the final score. No matter what's happening now, in the end, you and your army in just a poof. Evil's going to be gone. Because it's your kingdom, your rule, your power that we want, both now and forever, ever. Not a thousand years. Forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all the forevers, forever. And everyone said, amen. Amen. See you next week for part seven.